Welcome to another podcast from the campus of South Mims U, the world's most eclectic university. In this episode, we're going to talk about child labour. A new think tank has been opened here at South Mims. It's the Borka Free Enterprise Foundation, funded by the Borka family, who, as you might know already, once lived at a farm just a mile away from here. Gerard Borka began his agricultural products business in the 1930s, and it quickly grew to become one of the world's leading fertiliser and pesticide suppliers, turning over billions of pounds. I'm in a very nice penthouse with the policy director of the foundation, Miltonia Barclay-Sewer. It's swear, not sewer. Oh, sorry, but it's spelt sewer. Is that swear? It's French. And this is not a penthouse. It's a top-floor flat. Oh, my apologies. But that's a very nice chaise long you're lying on. It's not a chaise long. It's a daybed, OK? A daybed. Sure. Um, oh, just one other thing. Uh, Miltonia. That's an unusual name. I was named after the famous economist. Oh, oh, um... Milton Friedman, of course. Oh, of course. Milton Friedman, the, the architect of neoliberalism. Of freedom. Neoliberalism is a loaded term used by the left to tar all libertarians with the same brush. So you're not a neoliberal then? No, I am someone who promotes freedom. Freedom to, to do what? Create wealth. And keep it. Naturally. If you create it, why shouldn't you keep it? So you're not a big fan of taxation by an active state? An active state is a destructive state. Government, as Ronald Reagan so aptly put it, isn't the solution, it's the problem. But, but government supports those who are less able to support themselves. Everyone is able to support themselves without help from the state. Freedom is all about helping yourself by working hard and using your talents to their fullest. But what if, for instance, you're disabled? Are you suggesting that disabled people are helpless? Well, no, no, not at all. That's the implication of your question. Just because a person is in a wheelchair or is blind or deaf... Or, or all three. Or, indeed, all three, that does not mean that they have no talent or drive to succeed. But they need help. They are, after all, <laughs> immobile and can't see or hear or... Really? You're reducing individuals to the sum of their senses. Human beings are much more than that. Mm, I don't quite know what you mean by that, but what I'm trying to say is, is that if a, if a disabled person needs help because they can't find a job, then who helps them? How, how do they live? In a free economy, without regulations which restrict access to work for people who are less able, then the disabled will be able to find enough opportunities to work for a decent wage. But, but so you wouldn't give them any benefits or services or that, that are paid for by, by the government? You'd, you'd give them no as assistance at all? They don't need it. Assistance from a government impoverishes people in fundamental ways. It infantilises them. It sucks their initiative from them. It blinds them to the opportunities they could find if only they looked. <laughs> except, if, except if they're blind. Now you're just being glib. 
Uh, okay, okay. So the Borka Foundation. The Borka Free Enterprise Foundation. Yes. It's funded by the Borka family. Hence the name. Yes. Is that the only source of its funding? We have many sources of funds. Donations come in from all kinds of philanthropic people and organisations. But your main work is to lobby for the reduction of regulations and taxes and to spread the free market to every aspect of modern life. Isn't that right? Yes. You framed that question as if it was an accusation. I understand that the faculty here at South Mims is mainly left-wing in its politics, but I don't think that should skew the discussion. We have proposals which are carefully researched and framed, and we offer them to policymakers in a constructive way. If they decide not to adopt them, then that's up to them. But I, I wouldn't say that all my colleagues are, are left-leaning. They don't lean. They're prostrate at the feet of Karl Marx, my dear fellow. <laughs> that's, a, that's a caricature. It might be, but it captures the essential truth. Listen. Lionel Borker, the grandson of the company's founder, has a soft spot for South Mims U, and he wanted the university to benefit from the revenues which our foundation can bring in to keep the institution afloat. So, if I may suggest, I wouldn't be so eager to bite the hand that pays your salary and feeds your family. Right, well, in that case, let's talk about your first paper. Uh, from the Toil of Babes. Yes, it's a very good paper. Well, it's a strange title, From the Toil of Babes. Children are a vast, untapped source of productive wealth. We should harness it and unleash its power to enrich the economy and the families who depend upon it. So you're saying we should send babies out to work? Not babies. Toddlers? Not toddlers, yet. Yet? The potential of toddlers is also significant, but what we propose is that the school leaving age should be reduced to seven years. Seven? You're serious? Very serious. Well, I don't think the Victorians even put their seven-year-olds out to work, did they? Oh, well, they did, and look at what they achieved. The Industrial Revolution and the foundations of the modern economy. OK, so each seven-year-old has the choice to go to, to, go to, to stay at school... Or go to work? Yes, or at least their families have the choice. They can choose to send their little boys and girls into factories to work. You're being a little obtuse. Not factories, at least not only factories, but offices and other workplaces too. So instead of being at school, they go to work, that's what you're saying? It's the best education they will ever have. It's where they will learn to be self-reliant understand the value of money and realise that success can only be founded on hard work and dedication to productivity, efficiency and, ultimately, sound money. Would you send your children to work at seven years old? I already have. <laughs> Is that legal? They work at home in their spare time. Well, how old are they? Eight and twelve. And what do they do? One mines bitcoin and the other works in a call centre. A call centre? Not actually in a call centre, but in our spare room. She's digitally linked to a network which allocates calls to her between specific hours and she helps sort out software problems for a well-known computer company. So both of your kids, I mean they're still in school aren't they? They are, it's the law still. And you want to change that law? Yes. One of the main arguments for child labour in the Victorian era was that their income enabled families to raise their standard of living, and that in turn helped to boost the economy. Childhood is a drag on the productivity of the entire economy. 
<laughs> but I mean, isn't isn't childhood? I mean, children. I mean, and everything that goes with them. I mean, the huge. I mean, that's a huge commercial sector, isn't it? Doesn't it, it generate such a lot of business for you know um, the sh- shops and childminders and even private schools and you know there are, there are toys and books and TV and digital stuff and clothes. Kids and- will still need all of those things. But instead of just consuming, they will also be producing. You see, that's what happened in the Victorian era. Well, well, the Victorian era seems to be your benchmark for anything about society. Many aspects of it, yes. I know it's easy to characterise it as a time of great inequality and poverty with many hazards, some of them fatal, in sweatshops and dangerous factories. But it was like that. Well, in parts, but um, think about the benefits. Too much health and safety isn't good for the soul, for an awareness of the world, for learning what works and what doesn't, and a sense of initiative. Right, so danger at work is good for you. It is, which is why we want health and safety regulations to be drastically reduced. It would save time and cost and boost productivity. (laughs) But people would also die. People die all the time. Well, that's very cold. Well, it's the truth. We need to face up to the truth about life. It's hard. If we produce more and more snowflakes, our entire society will become so limp and insipid that we will fall victim to a totalitarianism of apathy. Uh, I don't quite know what you mean by that, but uh, uh, I'll take your word for it. All I'm doing is going back to what used to be a normal part of life. Children working for the sake of their families, Go back to the first agricultural societies and forward to parts of the world which still are developing. Children always worked. They milked the cows, herded the sheep and goats, picked the crops, got water from the well or the stream. They contributed to the family economy. But we've gone beyond that. I mean, now we live in a civilised society. Civilization is relative. Children spend far too much time doing very little. Well, they go to school. I mean, they get an education. Really? How many children do you know? They are marched into school to be taught things that aren't useful. They imbibe attitudes which hamper their development. And then they're let loose on the world of work, unable to fend for themselves. That means businesses have to spend a fortune training them just to do simple tasks. In my report, we show that if you cut out the schooling part, then they're work ready by the time they're 15 or so and can hit the ground running in the adult world of work. So, in your view, education is a total waste of money? For most of us, yes. Well, even, even your kids? Even mine. Isn't that, I mean, isn't that very harsh? Wouldn't some people call you a, a bad mother? I've been called worse. All right, now that we're on the verge of an automation revolution, isn't your thesis... Really? I mean, isn't it already out of date? I mean, there are going to be fewer actual, real jobs for people, aren't there? Actually, it's technology that opens up more jobs for children. Oh? It's exactly what happened in the first Industrial Revolution. The invention of the automatic weaving machines meant that cloth could be produced on a larger scale. So the domestic economy, weavers and their families working in their dwellings, gave way to a mechanised factory system where the machines could produce much more product faster. But the machines had to be tended, and children were small, nimble and dexterous, 
they had smaller hands, so they could make their way through the machines to keep everything working. <laughs> but that was really dangerous work. Are you a health and safety fascist? No, no, s- s- sorry, sorry. Any hint of a possible risk and you shut everything down. No, but I mean, many children were killed or maimed at that time. Pish, that's history. Many more children learned to be productive members of society, even if they had fewer fingers. They had to learn to be adaptive. It was character forming. Okay, well, let's not get back into that subject. Fine. My point is that automation has taken away many of those kinds of jobs and artificial intelligence and robotics are making the workplace much safer, which means you can use children to run your accounts department. Sorry, what? Kids running accounting department? Yes. You see, the AI in the form of robotic process automation does all the routine accounting tasks. But the kids, they can do filing, scanning paperwork, taking paper clips out of documents, that kind of thing. No need for a financial controller. That's all done by the software. Well, that sounds quite bizarre. It's efficient. Do the kids have to know how to count? Not necessarily. It helps. Knowing the alphabet helps too. But they get paid... And that helps their families, right? Yes. Do their parents have jobs? Probably. Everyone must work. And the kids pay tax? Yes, though as little as possible. (laughs) And do they get to vote? I mean, after all, there should be no taxation without representation. I'd give them half a vote until they're 18. Half a vote? It's only fair. I don't know how you work that out. Half a person, half a vote. So they don't get adult wages either, I imagine. Not at all. That is the commercial advantage of employing children. They don't cost as much as an adult. So children plus automation, that might mean there's no work for adults at all. A dynamic economy will always produce jobs. There are many services which cannot be done by machines. Like looking after sick and old people? Well, for now, yes, that's the case. Will kids do that? Look after sick and old people, I mean? If there's a business case, yes. Once they're big enough to lift and move people, absolutely. You said that working is the best education. It is. But what about education? I mean, a broader education, understanding art and literature and science. It can all be done through work. What, like reading? How can you learn about novels? I mean, how can that be done at work? During a break, for instance. What, reading Charles Dickens during their lunch break? Yes, if they want to. And by the way, Charles Dickens was formed by his time working in a boot-blacking factory when he was 12. That informed his work for the rest of his life. Well, it traumatised him. Trauma is the basis of great art. And he campaigned to get rid of child labour for the rest of his life. And wrote great books, but did not get rid of child labour. Do you really think any government or any modern society would adopt what you argue in your paper? Well, during the Trump administration, rules were relaxed regarding 16 and 17-year-olds at work, and it was quite a success. Really? The Acton Institute, which is a non-profit, which received donations from Betsy DeVos, Trump's Secretary of Education, called child labour a gift our kids can handle. And that's how I think we should look at it. The chance to work is a gift. Isn't learning a gift? You learn better on the job than theorising about it. Oh, okay. I can see your logic is firm, or, if I may say so, rigid. Mark my words. Within a decade, the children in the West will be working just as much as adults. 
That will enable us to compete with countries where child labour is normal, where they don't have all these crazy laws and standards which hamper economic development. It will be good for all of us. Well, I'll take your word for it. Well, thank you very much, Miltonia, Bartley... Um, swear. Swear. Well, thank you for listening, and uh, please listen to more of our podcasts, which are available where you got this one, and leave a review if you're of a mind to, and subscribe. They're all equally as provocative as this one. Oh, that's my feet. Oh, please.